this is not about information, right? <laughs> Between you and I, we could we could win a lot of debates out there, probably, right? And, yeah. and ever since, right, ever since I left the fold of allopathy, I dedicated myself um, to to filling my stuffing my holster with you know PubMed peer-reviewed index studies. And I and I have a natural ability, I think, to to memorize them and and store this like literally like bullets in, in mm. the chamber. And at this point, I feel as though I'm, you know, I've attended the funeral of science, you know? Yeah. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today Paul is talking with medical doctor Kelly Brogan. Dr. Brogan is one of the wisest, most authentic, spiritually inspired medical doctors of today. And who better to talk about what life is teaching us now? In this episode, Paul and Kelly have a powerful, honest dialogue on what is happening in the world today. They talk about how Kelly transitioned from the traditional medical mindset into a more holistic way of living and relating. They discuss what experiences are being reflected back to us given the global situation today and how we can all become more harmonious with nature and each other at this time, as well as the potential consequences if we don't accomplish this. Paul asks Kelly what she feels our governments are informing us about ourselves and from her training as a psychiatrist to talk about what it is within us that keeps us caught in the same situation we are in and have been in for a very long time. Kelly shares her overarching belief system and the values that support her in living true to herself as well as her definition of mind. They then talk about protecting our constitutional rights and the sovereignty of our own bodies and minds while at the same time helping everyone get past the polarizing issues to the issues that concern us all deeply. Paul and Kelly touch on how to find well-informed, holistic physicians and healthcare professionals, how to protect ourselves from abusing technology, such as social media and gaming apps, and conclude with an exploration of Dr. Brogan's thoughts on what we should consider as our personal and common dream for the world. Paul really enjoyed speaking with Dr. Kelly Brogan and feels she is a great inspiration for everyone, and especially women who are ready to step into their power to be the change that the world needs now. Enjoy Kelly Brogan, MD. Well, everybody, I'm super excited that Kelly Brogan, MD, is here. As you heard from Penny's intro, she's very thorough and comprehensive and covers a lot of area. She's highly respected. I've been waiting to have her on the podcast for quite a while now, so I'm super excited to have her here. Kelly, thank you for joining us today. It's truly an honor. Thank you for having me. You know, Kelly... Uh, we were talking just a minute ago, and unfortunately, we had a little technical glitch, but uh, I was saying to you that even if we could wave a magic wand and make the whole pandemic go away and go right back to business as usual, what most people are, are unfortunately unaware of is that the environment is in a severe crisis. We're on the very, very edge of a radical collapse, and and I'll share an example about a year ago now, I think about a year, maybe two years, a friend of mine, Dave Murphy from uh, Food Democracy Now, who was the first uh, group to actually successfully sue Monsanto for glyphosate infringements, sent me an article that he had come across or that had been forwarded to him from a team of entomologists. The article was titled in big, bold letters, Armageddon may be near. And the reason they had the title 
as Armageddon may be near is because entomologists begin to notice that bug traffic was dropping quite radically and that concerned them. So they did a joint study with about 50 entomologists around the world and they concluded that bug traffic has dropped 75% in the last 50 years. And why that is so critical for people to understand, most people don't realize how important insects are, but they're the sex organs of this planet. So the article went on to outline that any time now, we may stop having fruits and vegetables and flowers and life as we know it because of all the chemicals in the environment. And my father's a, a very experienced farmer. He was the president of the Comox Valley uh, Farmers Association, where I grew up on Vancouver Island for quite some time. And I sent him that report. And he wrote back to me and said, we're up Schitt's Creek without a paddle. And then he said to me, do you remember when you were a kid on the farm, there was so many mosquitoes that would pick you up and carry you away? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, I hardly ever see a mosquito anywhere out here now. So he was confirming and also confirming that it's the chemicals being used in agriculture that are largely responsible. And so then you've got Rachel Carlson, Silent Spring, which she wrote, I think, what, 19, right around the year I was born, 1961. And, and that was a staunch warning then. And here we are 60 years later, still not only up to the same stuff, but far worse. So my point is, is that. <clears throat> We, we really have to be careful not to get distracted by events that look scary, but aren't really near as real as the real issues. So I tell people this whole thing that's going on is the greatest thing that ever happened because it's awakening us to who's really pulling the purse strings, who's controlling government, what we are all participating in with taxpayers dollars and how we're actually funding very destructive practices by large corporations and we're contributing to it passively by not getting involved point being is if we just go back to business as usual what's coming our way if we keep pushing nature makes this whole pandemic look like a, a pimple on an elephant's backside in my opinion so i'm curious as to how you feel about that perspective mm. I love that perspective. And I also love that you've arrived as well to a place of really not only accepting, but embracing what is. Yes. Where the, the suffering ends, right? And something that I've told myself from the beginning of this experience is, you know, sort of this self-interrogative posture, like how could I be so sure that I know how things are supposed to be right now? Right? Mm -hmm. Because that's sort of the activist's uh, shadowy impulse is I know how things should be and I'm angry that they aren't yeah. and you know, beneath the anger that you know folks like you and I are are perhaps want to feel around what's going on in the disgrace of you know this natural world and disgrace of the human body and disgrace of so much that is is sacred uh is really grief Right. Yeah, There's, it if, is. Yeah. If you and I sat here in silence and just just meditated about the state of things and and really allowed it to penetrate our hearts, we wouldn't scream and rage. We would we would sob and and wail. Right. And yeah. and that grief from at least from my perspective, from our childhood conditioning around uh, feelings 
and the suppression and avoidance of feelings into our shadow realms, it feels like it could kill us. Yes. So we do just about anything to avoid feeling it, including, you know, neglecting and ignoring what's inconvenient to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and including, you know, as, as has been the case in, in my career, you know, focusing so much on the enemy and, and even empowering the enemy with my righteous indignation that I, I don't actually take the time to assess how coherent am I? in my worldview, in my, you know, sort of uh, the spiritual dimensions of my self-concept. And that's really what's come up for me uh, in this process. Yes. Uh, Because as I was saying, you know, after I had a couple of months of, you know, um, (laughs) slipping my my righteous bitch costume on and and (laughs) screaming, you know, on all my videos about what's going on. Do you people see this? You know, we've been (laughs) anticipating this for, you know, decades and now it's here. Um, it's the great psyop and it's upon us and don't take the bait. And there's, you know, it's not about a virus, et cetera. Once I got that out of my system, I, I recognized, you know, that as, you know, as without, so within and yes. how, how can I, um, experience the war that feels like it is on the outside with bad, you know, daddy government and bad mommy medicine. Um, how is that actually as an adult woman? an experience that I'm having with my disavowed parts, uh, with these aspects of myself that I, I am fighting with on the outside because it's frankly easier and less terrifying to do so than to acknowledge this warfare on the inside. And when I did a, a life review, you know, uh, this is probably back in April or so of, of 2020, I, I found areas where I was, you know, really channeling that totalitarian authoritarian, I know best and you will do as I say kind of energy. And, you know, I've raised my daughters in a rather libertarian model of, you know, sort of trusting them to guide themselves. However, there were some little areas, you know, like I would tell them things like, oh, just have one more bite or just try that salad. Come on, you know, or, you know, is your room like really feeling good to you like this? Because it looks pretty bad to me. You know, this kind of imposing energy that insinuates and implies that I know better than their, than her body, let's say, you know, mm-hmm. how she should relate to dinner or that I know better than her body, how her room should feel to her, thereby co-opting and commanding that inner compass that, of course, once surrendered to an external authority and never reinitiated back into the locus of that person. That's how we have the situation that we have right now, where so many are looking to you know, the government or the CDC or whatever it is, please tell me how to be safe. It's, it's terrifying just being a human in a body, right? Yes. So, yeah, I looked at that. I looked at my business. Um, I stepped, I chose to step down as, as CEO, feeling like that is maybe an antiquated model. Um, and I, I closed my private practice because I felt like, you know, whatever energies I am still holding of that MD uh, and the dyad, of, you know, the, the doctor patient, the allopathic doctor and the patient, it's finished now. Right. And it's, it's not even available for me to properly empower my patients, um, in the way that is essential right now for them to take the wheel of their car when they're in relationship to me as an MD, no matter how holistically oriented I might be. And so, you know, these were the changes that I, I made in response to, the the call to action, which is clean up your house, 
right? Mm, I, yeah. I got off my cell phone, you know, my smartphone, because to me, that wasn't coherent. It was a, a form of tacit consent to the very AI agenda that I was mm. fighting on the outside, you know, I yeah. started my own food and raising my own chickens. And, you know, my life is completely transformed. And, you know, I, I'm just beginning the process of establishing coherence and integration around my values. Um, and my belief system. And it's very difficult. I mean, I still shop on Amazon. Imagine. I mean, that's, that feels like the hardest band-aid to rip off somehow. But I, I, I long to continue to practice um, what it is for my behavior, my thoughts and feelings to all be integrated and woven into this uh, beautiful fabric that is really coherent within itself. And I, I do think that's what we're being invited toward coming into this polarity um, this complementarity around our beliefs. Do you believe in vitalism? Do you believe in the natural world? Or do you believe in transcending the human condition through technology and that we are fundamentally fragile and broken? I mean, those are optional belief systems, the materialists, the vitalists, and we can dance in complementarity. I'm not sure that one is supposed to subsume the other. I, I don't even know how it's possible. And in so many ways that we're seeing that, right? Like if I believe that to look at a human face with a mask on it um, is a desecration of what I experience as a soul to soul connection with another body. And they can't be in a room with me without a mask because it's terrifying and feels like a violation of their safety. How do we spend time in a room together? This mm -hmm. is like a, it's like a Zen cone. We have to solve, you know, we have yes. to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, talking about going within ourselves and, and, finding these broken parts within i tell people it's important to remember the devil you know is always better than the devil you don't know yes and if we don't look for the devils within us then we just project them out onto other people and point fingers and blame them and not realize that we're really just looking at the parts of ourselves that we don't like and externalizing them because it's less painful but it never works jung jung says something profound in this regard he says, your unconscious always meets you from the outside until you meet it on the inside. And that's, you know, most people wouldn't grasp that unless they've done the kind of work you're talking about and that I do and teach. But what he's really saying is the events of your life, both personally and collectively, show you what you're using your creative powers to create unconsciously until you realize that you are generating the creative impulse that's attracting these events to you by going inside. And then when you meet that on the inside, I always tell people, have a clear dream for yourself so you know how to determine whether the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that are rising in you are dream affirmative or dream negating. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have a compass bearing and you don't have values to, to support the uh, transition to being one with the dream and manifesting it, then your unconscious just keeps pulling you into the old habitual pathways. And as Einstein said, you can't use the same thinking to solve a problem that created it. So you just get caught in a self-reinforcing loop of what you don't want. So I think... Uh, a great thing for everybody to recognize is that the events in the world around us 
our our unconscious meeting us to show us how we're using our God-given creative powers to manifest. But because we're unconscious, we're manifesting what we don't want, which I really believe is a very deeply ingrained habit that goes back countless generations in humanity. And, and I do have questions to address that with you as we go. But uh, I just think that these are things people need to be aware of. And we have another problem is, is that we have a lot of religion, but we don't have enough spirituality on the planet, meaning that most religions are organized around the a specific orthodox or a dogma or a teaching, and it's a closed belief system. I define spirituality as connecting to a progressively larger whole. Mm. So if we're just for example, reading a set of scriptures or carrying out a set of practices, but we're not really connecting to the whole, be it the environment or other people with different opinions or viewpoints, then we can kind of become myopic and, and create a little invisible bubble around ourselves. And again, everything is always somebody else's fault, which is how wars get started. So I really feel that the the it's time for humanity to step into a spiritual awakening which has to begin as we've been describing within and to look inside and say what am i contributing to unconsciously out of habit out of programming and how is it how is my pain body manifesting itself because if we don't heal that it just keeps re-manifesting for us yes and that's exactly i was i was thinking exactly what you said which is the the relevance of pain you know, it's, it's, as far as I know, we're the only species that cries, right? And, and there has to be some significance to that. The, the experience of our uh, emotional body, the experience of these energies we call feelings moving through, um, that these spaces, this dimension of our physical being, that is maybe our role on this planet to, yes. to, um, generate consciousness through that process. And all you have to do is look around your life and feel the hot spots of stress and pain and orient towards those with an empowering consciousness, right? I've, I've said that I believe that victim consciousness is the only human pathology, right? Because it gives rise to so much, so much suffering and really harm and violence and what we might call evil even, right? Mm -hmm. When you are sitting in the empowerment of this creative or co-creative energy that you're describing, then life becomes like a magic carpet ride. Yeah. And when you have, you know, when your hair is falling out or you have a left elbow pain or your house catches on fire or, you know, you, you, your aunt ends up in the hospital and you're devastated, these all become messages to decode. Yes. And that, as you said, that capacity to, with greater and greater skill, interpret what is being shown to you about your vibrational reality inside is perhaps what we came here to master and experience. This, this self-discovery process is certainly how I've come to define health. I, I don't define it the way the CDC does, which is the absence of death. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I could go on a lot of rant on the CDC's information on, on anything, but I'll uh, keep it uh, where it can uh, calm down. 
Hi, everybody. I know that you're all aware of the importance of vitamin C. There is a mountain of research on it, but not all C is created equally. I love Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex because it is the real deal, bioavailable. And I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, founder of Paleo Valley, why their Essential C Complex is so unique and something you definitely want for your family and your children. Autumn, tell us about your Essential C Complex. Well, I was shocked to learn as a holistic nutritionist that 90%, over 90% of the vitamin C on the market is derived from genetically modified corn, and then it's processed with highly volatile acids. And so I knew I had to find a better way to get all of the powerful benefits of vitamin C. So what I did was I dove into the research and I found the three most vitamin C rich superfoods on the planet. That's unripe acerola cherry and camu camu and omla berry. And then I just packed them into capsules. And the benefits are amazing because you're not only getting vitamin C, but all of the other wonderful benefits that come from these amazing superfoods. So to get access to this complex, all you have to do is go to paleovalley.com and you can use the code CHECK15 at checkout. That's lowercase c-h-e-k 15 and you can save 15% off. You know, one of the things I think's relevant to what we're talking about here is most people don't understand that the whole universe is created out of polarity. You have to have polarity. You, you have the sky above and the earth below, and we stand in the middle of it, yet none of that could exist without that positive polarity, the electromagnetic energy that we call sky, and the embodied energy, which is a negative polarity we call earth. And the Jungian analyst, Edward Edinger, who was also a psychiatrist and a very, very skilled Jungian analyst and teacher who's not alive now, but he gave a beautiful definition of consciousness, which I would like to share. I've shared it multiple times, but I don't think it can ever be repeated enough. Edward Edinger says consciousness is a psychic substance produced not blindly, but in living awareness of opposites. Mm, and that. and so the, the 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 point he's making is that consciousness as a psychic substance, he's saying it's real, it's tangible, it is something. A psychic substance means it's real inside you, it's substantial. And to it's created not blindly, but in living awareness of opposites. And that's what we're talking about uh, looking within, because most of what um pulls us around and gets blamed on other people in the victim archetype is the negative stuff that we don't want to have to deal with because either we tell ourselves we don't have time or we're afraid to feel the pain again. But you can't have a positive without a negative and the negative attracts the positive, meaning that if you have a bunch of negatives, it's going to attract the positive energy to neutralize itself. Because then you create freedom. And so I think one of the key things that most people don't realize because they're not trained therapists is that until you actually heal pain and trauma, you keep attracting circumstances to yourself and you attract what I call the pain teacher to come point to where you're not looking. And so I think, I, I just think that's an important concept for people to understand that we, the whole universe is a game of polarities and that the more conscious you are, the more you learn how to manage polarities to create 
something that's not only dream affirmative, but is actually dream affirmative in some way because it's beneficial to all people. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, there's a, a phrase that I've held in my in my heart this this mm-hmm. entire year, and I, I honestly don't know where I came upon it, but it's strong spine, soft heart. Mm. And to me, that is a directive that helps me to orient around what it is that maybe as a collective, we are being invited towards, which is how can I be an individual in my separateness and still feel connected to you, right? Yes. So holding yeah. that, that paradox. And I've come to the exact place you're describing uh, around really exploring the relevance of polarity because as somebody very interested in the occultist aspects i mean i i feel myself i escaped the cult of allopathy and i mm. and i look all around you know at the evidence of occultism hidden in plain sight uh in, mm-hmm. in all that's been going on and has for many decades um there's always an essential truth at the core of what it is that is being societally engineered right so you know if you look at all of these sort of social stratagem for divide and conquer that Hegelian dialectic. And and you look at, you know, how it is that we've been pitted against each other, um, you know, whether racially or through gender politics or, you know, the vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And you could see, oh, these are just the steps to genocide. Or you could see, wow, we are being, um, you know, sort of, we're marinating in the shadow of polarity. Right. And how can we learn, perhaps out of desperation, you know, to experience some some harmony, uh, to to touch love again? How can we come into the light side of polarity, which is complementarity, right, which is is understanding that there are domains, that there are, you know, different um, realms of expertise and experience and strengths and that they 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 work together in a way that would never be achieved in an egalitarian, neutralized sort of uh, palette of sameness. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, anyone who's in a romantic relationship is is being offered a very special opportunity to explore polarity dynamics. I know that that's been, you know, pretty much all I've been focused on, you know, for many months now is trying to understand how it is that we can end the war of the sexes, you know, and in my case, in a heterosexual dynamic with a man, uh, there is there are many, many decades of entrainment as a woman that I am coming into that say, you know, I can do what you can do bleeding. I don't need you. And I'm going to enter in the fray and I'm going to win. I'm going to show you that I'm right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe what it is that I'm trying to be right about is something very precious to me. You know, my intuitive um, guidance, you know, this sense I have about what's going on, right? This, this um, feminine capacity to, to feel what's going on in the community, things like this. But the energy with which I'm, you know, sort of approaching my partner is very yang. So that incoherence, right? So you might call it like the wolf behind my sheep, <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not going to work anymore. We have to get internally coherent and understand who it is that I truly am, and who it is that I'm not really, but was represented by my personality, my defenses, this false shell um, that has been protecting my vulnerable self. And how can I step into that true essence, let the fake stuff fall away, experience the existential terror of that vulnerability, and then graduate to to a, a really claim uh, what it is that I wouldn't have otherwise touched that kind of deep connection 
um, to the specialness of what is separate and different about me in any given polarity. Uh, and also understand that there, there's got to be some way I can connect across the divide. And it's not simply, you know, I'm not a big believer in agree to disagree. <laughs> you know, I think that mm -hmm. there has to be some way that both parties win, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that looks like um, at this point, you know, when it comes to the coveters and non-coveters or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I don't know uh, what that looks like. And I'm excited by, you know, the really the prospect of, of discovering how it is that we can come into complementarity. I, I think personally that I think it's an important spiritual perspective to allow everyone to have the power of their choices. And so I think what, what you call the coveters <laughs> there for the non coveters an opportunity to observe what that choice and that pathway looks like. And we are, for them, an opportunity to see what it looks like to defend your sovereignty, to stand up for your, your rights to your own body, and to stand up for your own choices. And so we're actually each giving each other the opportunity to see, well, what would it look like if I went that way? And we're going, what does it look like if you go ahead and follow through with this plan? And, you know, the reality of it is the chips are falling where they fall. And, and as we can, we'll get into the, the problem is, is that a, a lot of the people on the, what we'll call the coveter side are using science that's so-called science and justifications that's coming from mainstream sources and they're not often aware enough of or motivated enough to go look for alternative uh, sources of information to make decisions on. So if somebody really doesn't do the work to have a holistic viewpoint, they can actually become very entrenched in a position without realizing that it's really um, half-sighted. You know, and so I think it's a very complex issue, but I think life ultimately boils down to the fact that to be an adult means you must take responsibility for your choices and the creative power that you have. And in our own way, we're each doing that for each other. Yeah. And I think my, what I'm really saying is that the, the space I hold is, you know, like it's very stressful at times for me because. Most of the people in my family have ignored all the information I've sent them, which included uh, going to, you know, articles from Green Med Info and Mercola. And I'm, and, and I'm, I also told them, look, I am an ex paratrooper. I'm an elite soldier. I am trained to recognize a threat in the environment. And I want you to know that what's going on right now needs to be looked at very, very carefully. So don't jump too quickly. So I've had the pain of watching uh, really most, almost everybody, but two people in my family without even thinking about it all. And I'm like, okay, I'm in the position now where I just pray for them every day and say, thank you for protecting my family. They, they don't know any better. They're, they're, you know, and that's one of the things, Kelly, for me, that's been the most challenging to watch is I find myself getting pissed off at these people for being stupid, but then I realize, you know, a lot of these people were raised on television and, and 
and media streams, and they've never had a real education. They have never been taught how to think constructively. So when I look at it from my heart, I realize these poor people don't know any different. And they actually, because they're raised in that mindset, it's kind of like if you've ever gone to a, a sushi restaurant with someone who's kind of inhibited about eating raw fish, and you offer them some sea urchin, which for most people looks quite ugly. And, you know, it's like, who would eat that? Most people are too afraid to try it. You know, I'm the kind of guy that says, let me see what that's like, you know, and, and it goes. And one of two things is going to happen. I do it again or I don't. But a lot of people will not try the sea urchin. And today that's a very dangerous option to take because uh, if you're only going with one option, then you don't have more options. But if you look at all the options, then you can actually stand in the middle and say, okay, what's the most logical, rational approach? And what does my heart say about this if I get rid of my head? But that takes training and it takes the kind of training is we have people haven't gotten, unfortunately. Oh my gosh. It's so like an accordion of of responses. I just love everything that you've shared. And I, I have recognized similarly, you know, that, that you don't really have a choice until you have a choice. I was waiting for the other half of that one. I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to handle this? It's like kind of weirdly that simple because I yeah, think yeah. about, you know, I started to, to really address, you know, childhood issues in, in my own life. Um, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, the day before, the day before, the hour before I was ready to do that, I did not feel that I had the choice to do so. It literally wasn't a choice before me. It wasn't presented as a choice in my consciousness. So this sort of um, experience of deterministic paralysis, it's real until for whatever reason, there is a rupture in the fabric of your reality. And somehow you see that there's more going on and there's more degrees of freedom than you could possibly previously perceive. And often, because it's super scary, we enter, as you said, that, that false dichotomy, like that dualistic, well, I have a choice to do this or that. But really, if you start to connect to you know, the aspects of you that are, are brought forth when you begin to understand that you have this empowerment within, um, that you have this, this strength, there are infinite choices, right? So, mm -hmm. so then it opens up, but that takes, it's so much time. And that's why, like you, I mean, it's so amazing to hear that, that you're experiencing this with your family. Um, and that's probably where I rule with an iron fist, you know, in, in my <laughs> small circle, because, you know, I, I literally haven't known anyone who's taken, um, the, the jab, for example. And, and who knows what that's about, right? It's probably about a lot of my own shadow material, but nonetheless, the, this is not about information, right? Between you and I, we could we could win a lot of debates out there, probably right. And, yep. and ever since, right, ever since I left the fold of allopathy, I dedicated myself um, to to filling my stuffing my holster with you know PubMed peer reviewed index studies, and I and I have a natural ability, I think, to to memorize them and and store this like literally like bullets in in mm. the chamber. And at this point. 
I feel as though I'm, you know, I've attended the funeral of science, you know? Yeah. It's, 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 it's finished and it's no longer, I mean, as a tool for uh, influence, let's say, because, you know, because of scientism and because we are now seeing with transparency that science is indeed um, an occulted religion. Yes. And, and it's being exposed as such. It's very difficult. It's going to be difficult for a while um, to purify that and to understand that science was only ever meant to be um, a means of understanding nature, right? Yeah. yeah. Supporting our relationship to, to the natural world. And, and so for now, maybe it's time, you know, I've, I've amassed, you know, me and Sayer, please, it's like what well, all we do is like amass these studies, 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 studies. And I've gotten fatigued over the past year recognizing that, you know, science and information can hold a candle to the power of, of trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that if you're somebody who grew up in a household where, you know, your parents ruled with a dominant fist and you felt you had to become invisible in service of their emotional needs, you're going to be someone like me who's, who's just will do anything, you know, to, to secure freedom, you know, from, from the perceived oppressing outside larger entity that is the authorities, you know, um, powers that be. But if you're somebody who grew up longing for somebody to give a shit, right? Like for structure, please contain me, please care, please create some structure of safety for me. Then you might be somebody who's, you know, out there rallying against those who might um, resist vaccination or uh, be non-compliant with mask wearing or otherwise be reckless, you know, yeah. in, in their um, flagrant disregard of what it is that's being asked by the CDC, et cetera. So, you know, if it's about that, are we really going to debate about, you know, what makes for a healthy experience of immunity? And we're we really going to debate whether, you know, how many months of study a vaccine warrants. And it's not about that. And so that's why all of us have had the experience of, of really watching very well vetted scientific information go in one ear and completely out the other. Yeah. If yep. it was even internalized to, you know, to, to any extent. So, you know, belief, <laughs> how do we form our beliefs? What, what is the process of changing one's mind? I mean, this is, these are like the metaphysical questions, um, you know, we're being invited to explore and it's, it's profound and it's far more interesting, honestly, uh, than whether or not, you know, I'm right about how dangerous a pharmaceutical is relative to somebody else's understanding of its necessity. Hi, everybody. I'm sure you've heard me talk about Dr. Quiet many times, if you're listening to the podcast at all. And you've probably also heard me say that there's nothing more restorative than sleep. It is our most powerful anabolic agent, tissue restorative, mind restorative, and it's free. There's lots of reasons why some people can't get to sleep at night, such as electromagnetic pollution from routers, phones, and most any electrical device, or even power lines that are near your home. Consuming too much carbohydrate relative to fat and protein for your unique needs before bedtime also causes sleep disturbance. The consumption of stimulants in foods or drinks, such as coffee and tea, will stop you from sleeping well. The consumption of alcohol, which rapidly causes hyperglycemia, followed by hypoglycemia, and then elevates cortisol levels and inhibits melatonin, is another major blocker from restorative sleep. But one common reason 
is a lack of magnesium, the right kind of magnesium in the right amount. If you are magnesium deficient, then there's no better supplement than Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It contains all seven essential forms of magnesium and no synthetic additives or preservatives. For the entire month of November, Bioptimizers are having a Black Friday, Cyber Monday blowout sale on their best-selling Magnesium Breakthrough. Get up to 25% off every order and get access to over $200 in free gifts, including books and more of their best products to sample. You can only get this exclusive deal through my link, so if you're ready to feel better, sleep better, and get your mind back to work for you instead of against you, go to magnesiumbreakthrough.com forward slash living 4D. That's living, L-I-V-I-N-G, number four, little d. And on checkout, use the code living, number four, little d, to get your discount and your free gifts today. I use Bioptimizer's products because they've worked for me and everyone I know and everyone that uses them tells me they love them and I'm very confident they will work for you. Enjoy Magnesium Breakthrough and sleeping better. One of the things I teach my students is that drugs and honey and surgery and holistic therapies, they're all a menu. And I say to my students, usually in their second and third year or fourth year of training, I say, have you noticed how many times you have written very good programs for people, got their dream, their goals, and you've put it down exactly within the parameters that they've said they would commit to, and they didn't do it. And everybody raises their hand. And I say, okay, guess what? That's who drugs are for. (laughs) That, that, you know, you can, unless you're going to go sit in their house and handcuff them and force them to eat gluten-free foods and get the sugar out of their diet, which will just destroy your own life. And they'll resent the hell out of you. And the instant you walk away, they'll go right back to it. I see, you know, you got to realize that, that people have a choice. And if, if they're not making the choice consciously, like they don't know any better, then they're going to learn through the experience. And I say, look, you don't become obese overnight. You watch yourself doing it every day. You don't get a disease. Cancer takes 10 plus years to develop in most people's bodies. So it's not like we got attacked by a cancer cell and all of a sudden it proliferated, or we woke up one morning, a hundred pounds overweight, or we went from being a healthy person to a sick person, like someone put a spell on us. So the reality of it is we each get to to become participant witnesses into how we're creating our lives and the choices we're making. And the reason I have to give that talk to students is because they get very pissed off and they start getting to be just like you described as a, a sort of a domineering parent figure. And that usually causes people to feel... Um, repelled or pushed back because now your therapist isn't really a therapist. They're more of a drill sergeant. And I had to heal myself of that, especially having been a paratrooper, because it's still, you know, there's a lot of it in there. You know, when you're trained like that, it's hard to shake it off. But my point really is, is I think it's important for us all to remember that people are People have to have the ability to choose what they want to choose, and they have to have the ability to take responsibility for the outcomes of the choices. 
and they're most ready to listen, learn, and grow when they come after having done their own experiment and they go, well, I tried this and I tried that and I tried that and it didn't work. So now I really like to see what you can offer me. But if somebody comes three years early because their son or their husband or their uncle, you got to go see Paul Check or Kelly Brogan. They know how to do it. It's healthy. What you're doing is wrong. Well, they come already on a negative foot and suspicious and feeling coerced into it. So I think that we all have to remember that we all created the menu together. We all funded the menu together. And it's up to us to decide what choices we're going to choose, what experiences we're going to take responsibility for, and what we're going to keep putting our money into. Or it's just going to be like we never woke up and we all died in a bad dream together because nobody uh, woke up and said, we need to change the channel. (laughs) Totally. I love it. I I mean, it's been a number of years now that I've been so deeply curious about the, the essence of readiness right? Because I've had, you know, now uh, quite a number of people come to either, you know, my, my program or my office. And it's like, I basically did nothing, truly. I mean, it's, I just sat there and said something like, you know, you're not actually sick and broken. Right? Yeah. Like, that's, it. that's literally it. And then I just kind of held space without fear for th- their whole shit to fall apart. And that's it. And, you know, and I have, I mean, they, they go on to become, you know, activists and writers and artists and healers of their own in their own right and and coming off of five medications they've been on for 30 years. And and I, you know, will look at somebody else who will read my entire book with all the hundreds of references and then go on to take Prozac, you know, yes. so it's, 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 it's again, it's it's about that elusive readiness and yeah. the <laughs> the belief that I choose to hold is that we all have the capacity when we're ready. Yeah. Or you would agree, you know, to heal anything, to heal anything. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, um, I, I attracted, because of my own inner energetics, um, a number of death threats, you know, complete with aerial shots of my house and this whole thing um, around a campaign in response to a home birth article, like a blog that I wow. wrote. Isn't that amazing? Well, I do believe that medicalized birth is is a very essential aspect to the current agenda, but that's an aside. Um, and there there was a campaign that was um, really predicated on on this, so you know, supposed slander of me as an ableist, an ableist. And I had never heard that word before. Neither have I. Okay, so there there's a bit of like um almost like a eugenics sort of connotation. But what it means is that I hold a belief that anybody can do what I believe I can do, right? So if I think I can get off of psych meds and birth control and have a home birth, then I am imposing that belief on others who are disabled and unable to, and that that is sort of like an you know inferiority complex that is holding people hostage um, when they should be coddled as victims. Right. And so um, it's I was accused of really shaming, shaming victims. Right. And implying that they could get off of their psych meds, for example, when they really can't and they're entitled to not being able to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about it. And in my experience, all of the criticism I've ever uh, been exposed to on the, you know, in the public sector, there's always some truth in, in it, if not a lot of truth in. And I found a lot of truth in this, that I, I do actually believe that. 
um, that people are capable of healing and transforming and integrating any aspect of their own struggle and suffering, as you're saying, when it is that they're ready. And maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, part of why we're not ready when we're not is because we still want to feel the signature of our victimhood because we aren't yet ready to love and embrace ourselves sufficiently to hold that dirty, broken, shameful, horrible aspect of, of self, you know? And again, in, in, in my relationship, I've seen this, you know, play out, you know, there were so many years that we had a pattern of conflict where I would feel, you know, oh my gosh, you're, I have to be the calm one and you're so volatile and, you know, he's storming out the room and I have to repair us. And, you know, I'm in this repetitive pattern of really something very familiar from my childhood, you know, which is Mm -hmm. that I feel victimized by somebody else's emotional dominance and maybe volatility and whatever else. That's my narration. Um, And the truth is that I chose to be in that familiar energy of Mm -hmm. my own victimization that it's like you said, the devil, you know, it's, it's so um, ingrained and conditioned that you have to get to a point where you are willing to lose something that feels it would cost you too much. Maybe yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. everything. And, you know, when I got to the point where I could imagine living without Sayer, right? Like I could, I could get to the point where I could say, you know what? I don't know that I want this anymore. <laughs> that is when everything changed. Because I resolved that dependency sufficiently. I yeah. recognize that I finally love myself enough to withstand what I formerly would have believed would have killed me as a loss. You know, I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine living without this man. And that liberated me to get clear about what it is that I want. And guess what? All I had to do was clearly ask for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's literally it. And then everything changed. So I think we we really want to feel um, the the resonance of suffering that we are repetitively exposed to in our lives. And there will be a moment for most of us when we're ready, you know, to step out of it. But it cannot be coerced, as you said. Yeah, no, it's it's a healing and it's a growth process. And I think that, you know, I my new book I'm writing really is all about what we're doing here and why we're here. But the premise is that Earth is a school for Mm-hmm. souls that are still learning to work with polarity yes. and that matter ties polarity up so that we have time to interact with the energies of creation. Uh, you know, the old saying, matter is spirit moving slowly enough for you to interact with it. And here to, to really do a lot of damage, for example, when Hitler wanted to take over the world, he had to amass about a million people and a lot of money and it took a lot of time to develop the weaponry. So it made it easy for other countries to get uh, aware and, and counterbalance that. But in higher dimensions, you know, I, I work in these other dimensions. I can tell you in the astral plane or the mental plane, creation happens as fast as you think. Mm. So if we're destructive in those planes, we actually damage the lives of other souls very quickly. So souls in my experience have to stay in the material plane until they've matured enough to realize the power of the creative energy that's inside all of us 
and matter is is what slows it down. So I think, you know, we can see the way we work with matter because we can look at how we manage our body, our yards, our cars, our houses, our businesses. So it creates a perfect mirror. It's a tangible mirror of our lives. And once we learn how to create in ways that bring harmony and and create in ways that feel like it's bringing us more into our center or more into a sense of deep connection that inspires us to keep sharing with others, then I think we start being not only more aware of our own creations, but more aware of how what we're creating impacts others, be it the birds, the bees, the flowers, the trees, the environment. And so I think the earth as a being sacrifices herself for our own becoming. And part of the responsibility we have today is we have to realize that she is a living being and she's sacrificed about everything she can. And so uh, she has to sort of say, okay, guess what, boys and girls, your test is coming. You, you, it's time for you to really get the lesson that you have to be conscious of how what you're creating affects everybody because it's killing your mother. And I can only take this for so long before you, you have to uh, go into the afterlife to reevaluate and maybe decide if you need more training. And I, I personally feel from a spiritual perspective that this is really the most important time, probably for as long as we have historical records, because we have so much power now. We have so much nuclear power, chemical power, electronic power, um, gadget power. Uh, we, we, we are wielding enough power that any one of a dozen different things could destroy everything on this planet. And because we haven't matured spiritually, and psychologically to the point of being able to be in moral harmony with that much power, we are attracting, I believe, this event to us. Because you see, if we're working with a, a virus, whether it's real or not, it's something that is fairly innocuous. But if we're having arguments right now over whether or not we should bomb somebody with a nuclear weapon, we are not ready for that. We don't have enough depth to really make a decision like that. So I really just feel that all of this is really bringing us to a shamanic initiation into adulthood that we have to go through together. And the process is going to help us decide whether we're allopathic or holistic, whether we're going to be participatory in our own life and participatory in the world, or whether we're just going to lay down and play dead and let somebody else do the work. And so all of the stuff that we have to look at, I think, has to be looked at because it's almost like we're at the place in Monopoly where you get the do not pass go, you know, because that's the way the game's played. And I think we're at do not pass go right now. We have to do this work together before we... um unconsciously or consciously make decisions that ultimately end or change the game so radically that we'll just re-injure ourselves and go into another round of deep trauma. As you're describing this, I, I am just reflecting on this seeming fulcrum between the ever 
expanding experience of our innate power. Yes. And the, you know, excruciating weight of responsibility. Yes. Because we probably unconsciously abdicate or at least choose not to perceive fully our own power so that we don't have to take responsibility, right? The taking of responsibility means that no one outside of you is going to tell you how you should behave, think, or feel. You are in charge of that. And it's like the good news and the bad news, right? Is that that, that you are in fact in charge of that. So if I'm sitting around and every time I use a piece of plastic and put it in my recycling bin, imagining like that's mitigating something, I'm somehow waiting for an authority or a system to tell me when it's too much, right? Tell me when it's time to quit that rather than interrogating myself, my own values and my own um, connection really to feeling when something is no longer in integrity. I'm, I'm not sourcing from within to direct my behavior. And I've had even like, you know, little tastes of this, even though I am such a radical believer in, you know, in, in holistic medicine, you know, the other, the other day I started, or maybe like two weeks ago, I started a practice of ovarian breathing, right? Because I, the kitchen's closed. I don't want any more kids. I'm good. Right? Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Kitchen is closed and I very much enjoy making love. So how do I, you know, take responsibility, um, for this aspect of my, you know, physical experience as a woman and not fall into the random universe of like, oh, I could just randomly get pregnant. I guess it could happen if one day there's a sperm and the egg or whatever. I don't believe in that. I believe, as we've been discussing, that I will be reflected that which I have not yet explored. So, of course, I have to explore all of my fears about getting pregnant again and what that would mean, et cetera. But then I started to do this ovarian breathing, which is a, a Taoist practice to begin to recirculate the energy of my, you know, ovarian reserves and distribute it through my body. And the, the goal would be that I lengthen my cycles out and I really stop ovulating at this point. Mm-hmm. And I felt that little nagging skeptic voice that said, this is not going to work for you, Kelly. Like you don't have what it takes to make this work. You'd have to be like a Taoist master mistress, right? Like to, to really succeed at this. So what do you read? Why are you bothering? Find another way to figure this out. And it was just this like, wow, like I could, I could hear my own, you know, sort of shadow uh, speak to me in this, in this self denigrating way. And I could really perceive like, I don't actually want to take responsibility for this. And that's why I am choosing not to experience my own power in this realm. And that, you know, as we teeter on that, um, the more awareness we can generate around the decision that we have that we don't have power in a certain realm, because it really is like it's a decided perception. Yeah. Um, it may be more uh, accurate to say that we we're choosing not to take responsibility and and why, right? Why is that childlike posture of dependency, outsourcing of agency more comfortable in, in one given arena of our life? Um, what is it that we're getting out of it? Because usually I always tell my patients this, like there's something that they were getting out of being sick and labeled and medicating, mm-hmm. right? They were getting something out of it or they wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are myriad things that we can get out of our 
experiences of disempowerment that go beyond just that it's a familiar vibration. Um, we can experience validation. We can experience, mm-hmm. you know, the, the empowerment of being right about how wrong do we are. And mm-hmm. really it's a surrogate empowerment. And, and maybe there are many ways that we push away aspects of our life that we wouldn't otherwise have the um, wherewithal to confront. We don't have to, if we're sick, right? We have a built-in excuse. Yes. Yeah. So they, there's so many ways that we can explore um, why it is that we aren't stepping into our full power. I, I, I think having looked at this quite extensive because I've had to do a lot of research into the mind to help understand why people seem to stay strapped, uh, trapped in chronic pain. But w- when I did a lot of this research and, and just through observation, as I said earlier, we now have, uh, have so many people that have been indoctrinated into this way of living that what I call the center of gravity of society is actually quite low. So I talk about, for example, in my training program where I teach how the chakra system works and how consciousness evolves, I say it's very, because my student, one of the big things that happens, unfortunately, maybe fortunately, is mm-hmm. a high number of my students, when they come through our first level of professional training to be a holistic lifestyle coach, which is holistic lifestyle coach level two is where they do intensive training to actually do it for a living. But a lot of people go home with such clarity that they've been living a lie that there's a lot of divorces that come out of that class. So because people finally realize I got to stop bullshitting myself. And so why I bring that up is because I tell students in my class, there's one thing you need to be very aware of if you're my student. If you get more than one arm's length ahead of somebody you're in a relationship like your spouse the relationship's going to start breaking down because they're going to start feeling like your child and you're going to have a hard time relating to them. And one arm's length is one chakra. So if your partner is centered in the second chakra, but your consciousness rises to the third and you're not coming together, it creates such a radical shift in your viewpoint that you have a hard time figuring out why you were in love with that person or why do you want to stay with them? So if you can't find ways to be empathetic to them or to be supportive of them or to help inspire them to grow with you, then it almost always leads to a crisis in the relationship. So why I'm describing that specifically is because there's always a center of gravity in any relationship, whether it be two people or uh, nine, eight billion of them. And our culture's center of gravity is still very um, materialistic and consumeristic and um, very comfortable not thinking for themselves. So when there is such a mass of the population stuck at that center of gravity, you have to really be ready to go on the hero's journey because the instant you depart from that, you now are out of the consensus reality. Now you're like somebody walking around uh, with an elephant's trunk glued to your nose, naked, and a sign on your back that says, come criticize me because I'm different. You know, And if you're not ready to deal with that, then what happens is you fall right back into the child archetype because you need other people's approval. You need um, a sense of validation. And we're at a time where 
a lot of us have to be brave enough and comfortable enough to step into our truth and model it to people, not expecting them to have to change, but to show them what it looks like to have a level of freedom and a level of commitment, be it to our health or to our own spiritual philosophy or to our growth and relationship or to our commitment to the environment. But very few people are ready to actually accept the death threats that you got or that, that anything can happen. And that's the difference between the hero that's on the hero's journey and the person that's still sitting at home just complaining about everything while they keep doing it. And so I think that's a hard transition we have to work through. And one of the big problems, unfortunately, is that, forgive me for saying this, everybody, but it seems like the people with the least level of development intelligence get the most airtime in our culture. And the Bruce Liptons and the Greg Bradens and the Kelly Brogans and the Eckhart Tolls, they, they hardly get the airtime. If we somehow could balance it out so that people could actually have as much exposure to those that have grown up, to those that are making a lot of money for you know being silly and watching the mob wives or the baseball wives or who's screwing who or whatever, I think that we really... Part of our transition is we somehow have to figure out how to balance the exposure that the average person has to influences that give them awareness that there is an option or the inertia that they're dealing with is very strong. And, you know, who are we to say that they should do that? You know, that's what I keep coming back to, right? Like maybe yeah. they're interlife choice was to almost as as a martyr right to play that part of the person pretending to be asleep and you know i've had this experience even with my with my own parents you know that that childlike longing i had as i started to go on this journey of like, hey, come with me, come with me. Look at, you know, I'm doing Kundalini training. Isn't it interesting? Come to a class. Or, you know, as I started to do shadow work, you know, then there was a lot of like feeling of judgment that they had around um, my characterization of my childhood, et cetera. And, and I really got to the point where I didn't, I no longer needed to share even a narrative reality about the, the, the life that we experienced together, you know, for those years that we, that I was growing up as a child. I didn't need for them to agree or validate because I started to see what it would require of them, which is for them to go back and do their own, you know, childhood trauma work and to acknowledge and recognize, you know, that their parents weren't these idealized or vilified figures. And, and who am I to say that they should do that work for the reasons we're saying? It's not my business whether or not, you know, they, they do that work or they're ready to. And it's certainly not my role to, you know, co coerce or even inspire them. And that's why, you know, I'm a, a big, big believer in, you know, what I kind of have called an order of operations and a Maslow's hierarchy of needs around in how to enter into this sort of self-discovery process. And I, I think that if it starts with the chopping wood and carrying water of your daily lifestyle choices, as I know you agree, if you just start there, 
And, and you begin to recognize, you know, that all of these physiologic nuisances that you have, your bloating, your joint pain, your, you know, your insomnia, um, your irregular cycles, whatever it is, and maybe you're on a bunch of meds and you start to, to recognize that there might be a better way. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of the only thing that you got to listen for is like that little, little whisper that says, there's a better way for you personally, for you personally, mm-hmm. not for her or that superwoman or Wonder Woman, whatever. For you personally, there's a better way. Are you ready? Yeah. And, you know, then you start to commit. I'm a big believer as, you know, I, I know you are in, in the power of discipline. Yeah. Uh, and you commit to just for a little while. I found, you know, that that 44 days, 40 days, 30 days, you know, in that realm, commit, 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 like your life depends on it. And see what gets ignited in you when you change your breakfast, when you change your bedtime, um, you know, when you change the kind of water you're drinking or whatever it is. And in my experience, there's something that gets unlocked through that sort of taste of the power of choice. Yes. Then not not only um, psycho-spiritually prepares you, uh, but then, of course, neurobiologically, you have, you know, we know that in five weeks, you can dramatically transform neuroinflammatory uh, patterns and processes. So then your whole bucket is drained. And then you can really take a survey of your life and start mm-hmm. to look at your marriage, your job, or, you know, your relationship to your parents or your children. You can start to really, you know, soberly assess whether there's something you've not wanted to say or deal with or something that you've been hiding even from yourself. And it's Mm -hmm. time, it's time to, you know, connect to the courage because you can't go back and you've got to go forward and you, and you can take that leap. Right. And you start to um, have one experience of, of really serving the dissolution of your false self you know, for the birth of, of your essential self. And once you have one experience, you recognize the signature of that juncture. The next time you have an opportunity to initiate a conversation with your brother or whatever it is. And yeah, there, there's a lot that has to die. I mean, I noted at one point, I think I even put it in one of my books that I had a near 100% divorce rate from beginning to end of working with me in clinical practice. And it's not something I was proud of. Um, I think especially for women that divorce can be one of the most powerfully grief inducing experiences, you know, of a, of a mother's life, let's say, uh, which mm-hmm. was my experience. And so I, I was wondering, you know, what is that about only to of course come to the conclusion that you have, which is that when you, when you make a, a, a bond with someone um, in the energy of avoidance of your inner self, that bond is not going to sustain the reclamation process. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's exactly how it should be. Did you know that symbiotica means harmony? And you're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Sherveen Jaffaria, the founder of Symbiotica. Symbiotica is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to Symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their Shilajay Minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. 
Their biocharge activated coconut charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis liposomal glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing and more. When you go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com and use your Living 4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell and you won't be disappointed. Enjoy Symbiotica. Now, you've sort of... At first, you were you were challenging my point. I don't think you were challenging it negatively, but you were saying maybe we shouldn't even be imposing that upon people. But I want to make a point here. The people that you just talked about that make these transitions in your program found you. Mm-hmm. You are the influence that inspires and guides them. So my point is, what if... Mm-hmm. Five billion people got exposed to Kelly Brogan as much as they got exposed to the news hour. And then they would wake up to say, well, at least I know I have an option now. And I'd like to share another analogy. And I'm going to use a gardening analogy to talk about humanity. Kelly, if you planted a little orange tree and you kept watering it, and four years later, it was still only a foot tall and it was a sapling. Wouldn't you wonder why this tree wasn't growing up? Well, human beings have a process that is a natural psychological growth and development from the child to the warrior or standing up for yourself and getting clear on what it means to be a contributor to the world, to a king, queen, which means I've now figured out how to do it. I've got skills. I've got values. I have some degree of control over my environment. And finally, into the wise man or wise woman where they look at the world and go, wow, I see everybody in me. I see the whole world in me. And I have empathy and compassion for all those people because I can can recognize me at each stage in my own growth from the sapling to a mature tree to a fruiting tree to now a tree that's ready to move into the archetypal dimension of treeness. So I think what I'm trying to say is that when I look out at the world as a trained therapist with a lot of experience and a lot of years of studying the human being, I see that our growth has been stunted by whatever forces you want to call and And you're right, they should be able to make that choice, but saplings are like children that aren't aware of the choice or the responsibility of choice. And I think this is my own perspective from a therapist's perspective. I think those of us that are aware, like you obviously build these programs for a reason, right? It's not just to make money because someone as smart as you can make money doing anything. So I feel that Part of the transition that we're going through is really also our responsibility as those of us that know how to garden and know when a tree isn't growing up, that we need to check the soil and we need to make sure that 
you know, that the environment's supportive, it's getting enough sunlight. And that's a responsibility that can only be shouldered by the people that know how to raise the trees and how to garden metaphorically. So the paradox of what I'm saying is, is it's yeah. really up to a lot of us that are the most aware that unfortunately are doing a lot of the most complaining because we're, as you said, in bitch mode or <laughs> I'm in warrior mode. But the reality of it is, is that we, if we stay in bitch and warrior mode, we're being distracted from the empathy and the compassion that says, you know, somehow I need to donate more of my time to helping the sapling wake up to the sunlight and and checking the soil to see what I can do, not to force people to change because the tree doesn't have to grow up. But do you understand that perspective I'm sharing? Absolutely. I absolutely do. Um and and there is, you know, a responsibility that comes with awareness. Yes. Right? How do we wield it? What do we do with it? How do we serve um, the continued generation of awareness? Because it's a process that, that, you know, requires this kind of vital force energy. And, you know, there's, there's just something that I am wondering if you're feeling, which is that maybe we are graduating into a less linear uh, process of dissemination of information and generation of awareness. You know, I remember what was it like two or so years ago, um, Sayer and I came on the chopping block of Google's algorithmic suppression, right? Congratulations. <laughs> well, you know, it was like, wow, I've, I've invested a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to become like a first page result on gut brain or whatever it is. Yeah, and, uh -huh. and now you literally cannot find a single one of my hundreds of articles that I obsessively wrote for oh, years, yeah. ignoring my kids. Um, you can't find a single one of them unless you put kellybroganmd.com along with the article, which is not how anybody searches for anything. And, and so I sort of felt like, whew, okay, that's, that's interesting. And then I was able to kind of pivot again, hopefully out of my own you know, victim energy and into this question of, well, maybe people are exposed to the information, exact information that they need from the exact person that needs to deliver it to them at the exact right time. And it's no longer about filling stadiums and being the dominant, you know, sort of, um, you know, top five media exposure you know, uh, I mean, I had an experience of this with my first book where I had a, you know, a huge deal from a big publisher, HarperCollins, and they put me as like the number one book for spring of 2016. And they could not get me a single interview or press mention, not one, not Dr. Oz, not Nightline Today Show, nothing. And I think it was like ABC or something came back and they said, yeah, we've seen your galley. And let me tell you that if we let this woman on, it will be bad press for you. So they were like shocked, right? I mean, the, the book has an exploding pill on the cover. I don't know why they were so shocked. They must not have known about pharma subsidies and, and whatever. And, you know, through our sort of grass, largely sayers, but grassroots network, you know, tens of thousands of books were somehow sold anyway. Yes. But it's sort of that old model of I need to be a part of the dominant structure of exposure in order to have influence is that thankfully just in time dying in service of a new model, which is more um, supportive of everyone experiencing and expressing whatever their greatest uh, destiny might be in this moment. 
it's being served directly to them, right? Like that perfect YouTube link lands in your, uh, yes, you know, in mm-hmm. your inbox or, or, you know, you run into somebody on the street and they happen to tell you about just the book you need in order to help graduate you into a feeling of empowerment around a nascent belief. And, and so I have to believe in that. It gives me a, a sense of, um, faith that yeah. mm-hmm. people will uh, be exposed to the information that they need. And if they don't know about your work, it's because they couldn't make use of it. And somehow it would feel indicting to an aspect of themselves that they they still hate, you know, and they're not ready to love. I, I, I have to believe that. I, I think uh, uh, playing on what you've just said, what I, inter- if you were telling me, uh, that you just pulled the following tarot cards or had a dream and it was a dream as a therapist, I would say, Kelly, you know, what's really beautiful about the story you just told me the fact that you didn't get the TV deals and the exposure was great spirit saying to you, Kelly, go to Sayers tribe because they're the ones that are ready to hear your message and they're going to act on it. The other ones are going to criticize it and ignore it. So, you know, there's the old saying, God works in mysterious ways. And I think sometimes, uh, and I've been through this in lots of situations. I think sometimes, um, you know, I, I've, I'm, I'm a practitioner of shamanism and I've conducted over 450 healing ceremonies with plant medicine. So I'm very skilled and schooled and have a lot of experience myself in the unfolding of a shamanic journey. And I always tell people before they go in and par- as, as part of their training, I say, you know, there's going to come times. There's, it's real possible that you could have some very scary experiences and you might have to really look at some stuff that's been buried in you. And it may be even ancestral stuff. But just know that as long as you don't get swept away by it and you just ask your soul to show you what the love is that you're not seeing. I say whenever you're scared or whenever you're feeling like you can't take it know that you're only getting a perspective that's usually your ego's perspective so i say ask your soul to show you what it sees right now Mm. and then what happens is we realize that oftentimes if you flip the coin over it's showing you what the possibility is or what the lesson was that was giving you the experience you had to have to have empathy compassion and understanding for the people that you actually came here to help You know, if you don't like, if you don't know what it's like to go through a divorce, you're never ever going to make a very good divorce counselor Mm -hmm. because you don't really know what you're coaching somebody through. So I think that we all go through these experiences, but sometimes because of the shock of it, we like to blame it on the drug, i.e. the shamanic drug. Oh, that, that I had bad experience on that. I'm like, I got news for you. The drug just opened you up to what's already inside of you. It had nothing to do with the drug. In fact, come back in two weeks. I bet you'll have a completely different experience. So what are you going to do then? <laughs> you know, so um, this, we've, we've answered a lot of the questions. So I'm just sort of uh, looking here. One of the things that I wanted to ask you is how would you describe the dream and the values that you live by. And the reason I ask that is because I tell people your yes has no value until you learn to say no. Mm-hmm. If you just say yes to everything, then you can end up in a world of hurt and people will abuse you. 
So you have to have values or you don't know when to say yes or no. I'm curious at this point in your life, what is your dream for your life? And how did you come to the values that support being Kelly? Mm, Wow. What a question. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible because I have, you know, my defensive structure and my, you know, sort of arsenal is different than most of the patients that I've worked with, for example, who have a lot of their grandiosity buried in their, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in their shadow realms. For me, all of my defensive adaptations really, you know, sort of like my mentation, intellectualism, my capacity to, you know, memorize that which will serve my rightness, um, my sort of like lionization around causes, all of this, it can, it hid for me for many, many years uh, after even I started to do the work, so to speak. Um, you know, these, these, you know, kind of the lazy, cheating, lying, sneaky, selfish, shameful <laughs> parts of me that are in there, of course, right? And so I continue to play the zero sum game of I'm right, you're wrong in my relationships, um, in my activism, and in my relationship to what mattered. And so it it really wasn't until I started to look at my trauma origins um, in my own, you know, life experience, and to really develop a relationship to my child self and my feelings, Mm. (laughs) pesky things, um, and to orient around personal responsibility for my experiences ruthlessly, right? So, so, you know, it's fine to let that victim vent. It's actually an important way, I think, to fully feel those feelings. Mm-hmm. But don't let, you know, that tantruming child drive your car, right? So, right. so I ultimately take responsibility and to see that the way out of the helplessness and dependency and, and really the excruciating experience as an adult of that, that child disempowerment the way out is to recognize, no, actually, I can do something differently and mm-hmm. I can I can come back to pleasure, right? So, you know, while my no has been uh, very well articulated over the better part of the past decade, and it, it certainly has to do with bodily sovereignty and informed consent and medical choice and freedom um, and the the ultimate responsibility that I have for what, you know, is put on. Now I have to add that corollary and penetrated into, you know, my body and my children's bodies. You know, that's my pretty clear no. I mean, I, you know, we live in a pharma free household. I mean, I got a lot of no's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my yes has only developed in, in recent times. And it's been something that has felt so much more essential to develop a practiced relationship to. And I know that, you know, in Sayer and I last year, we put on something called the Thank You Body Rally. Um, And it came to me as really a very important spiritual practice, even though it ended up being, you know, in 86 locations on six continents and this whole big event on October 16th to really celebrate um, what this experience of embodiment has afforded us. Because we want the contrast, right? I want to feel sick and then know that I can be well afterward, right? And more than well, I can be vital. I wanted that contrast. I didn't want to come here, some vital butterfly, right? I wanted to 
dissolve in the chrysalis and barely squeeze out of the hole and then make it right. Mm. And so for that experience, I get to celebrate and experience, you know, triumph and victory and all of these exalted emotions, because I went into the trenches of the antithesis of that. So I recognize that it's enough with the protesting and the demanding that, you know, daddy government be a good daddy, finally, for me, the way I want him to be. I don't have to be referentially oriented in my power to anything that they're doing, right? I can simply non-oppositionally celebrate what's real and true and beautiful and expansive and exciting and pleasurable for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the um, the guiding compass for me is an experience of presence and joy and pleasure. And mm-hmm. pleasure is not, you know orgasm, you know, only it's, it's an experience of the sensuality of embodiment that's available at any given moment. You know, if I take a sip of my tea, I can just chug it down or I can engage the senses that I have been gifted that I Mm. came here to uh, experience that I can experience as a spirit floating around. Right. Yeah. That, That I can, I can relish this present moment in a way that really is only available after, I, I think, for most of us, you've done, you know, the this, this sort of work of clearing that which would otherwise have interfered with your experience of, of presence. And so, you know, I've known as, an, as a mother that, you know, I can teach my children all the principles of how to say no uh, to, you know, what is on offer educationally, economically, you know, medically, etc. But I need to be a living inspiration for them because yeah. otherwise they're going to look at, you know, their their angry mom and think, well, I think I'd rather, you know, be be their dad who everybody likes. <laughs> right. And then a lot of people don't seem to like her. So, you know, but it's a different thing if I'm, you know, dancing and playing with my friends and playing with our animals. And I'm really a model of joy and expansion. I love what you said earlier. I'm going to take that with me, you know, that that we are showing each other what these choices look like. Yeah. What a what a beautiful gift we're giving each other. Yes. And that is that is dedication enough for me in service to make you know the choices of of fearless faith in the human body look really fun and enjoyable and pleasurable and vital. Right. That's that's about all I can offer humanity. Right. Because yeah. arguing that through, you know, uh, PubMed citations, it's not the same kind of experiential um, exposure that at this point is is really the 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 means of of transferring information between us. Hi, everybody. Do you guys want to know one of my secret weapons that helps me avoid being sick or feeling run down? It's Organifi Immunity. Organifi Immunity is a super high quality certified organic drink mix that provides daily immune support and supports overall immunity. Organifi Immunity contains whole food vitamins C and D, whole food zinc, mushroom beta-glycans, and provides only natural sweetness. Not only will you support your immune system, but you'll also get on-the-go superfoods in a delicious orange blend that is great for you and your kids and everyone will love it. 
My family and I love it, and it's easy as tearing off the top of the package and mixing it with high-quality drinking water, and you can rest a little easier knowing that you're enhancing your immune system, which is probably a good idea now that so many people are spending so much time indoors, breathing indoor air, and lacking sun exposure. Why not enjoy a little immune insurance while getting certified organic nutrients, superfoods, and great taste that's quick, easy, and effective? To get your Organifi immunity and shop their amazing product line with your Living 4D discount, go to organifi.com and save 20% on any and all of their products using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K20. That's check 20 during checkout. Enjoy Organifi. Now, Kelly, I, I loved what you shared. Um, one of the things that I didn't pick up uh, clearly, maybe it was just me missing it. Could you encapsulate what your dream is for yourself in your life right now so, so that I can like hear your dream? Mm-hmm. I think it would be to embrace the experience of human embodiment so that I can fully know myself. Yes, very beautiful. And it sounds to me like you're really in, in a, a very deep process and have been for a while because everything that you've described from book, uh, book challenges to website getting shut down to threats and, and to relationship challenges, that's really... Um, that's the full Monty ride in life, you know, because without all that stuff, I'll tell you what happens. People always say, oh, I wish my life was this or I wish my life was that. And I, I, I say to my students, I have a question for you. If I could wave a magic wand and get rid of all the knowledge you gain from the challenges and pains in your life and just leave you with the good times. Or wave my magic wand and get rid of all the knowledge that came from the birthday parties, the dances, and the wild sex. Which one would leave you in the most big, largest deficit and leave you unable to effectively navigate life moving forward? Every single person, hands down, says, I've learned far more from my troubles and I wouldn't want you to take that away. We want that, right? You know, there's that Alan Watts lecture. I'm a huge Alan Watts fan, and he. He talks about, you know, if if we were given free reign over our dreams, right, that, you know, the first night we would, as you said, we'd have like wild sex and like win a million bucks gambling, <laughs> we'd like be the hero of this crazy adventure. And, you know, the second night, maybe we'd put a, like a little twist in there that's unexpected. And the third night, you know, we'd create a big conflict that we have to overcome. And and by, you know, the seventh night, we'd be like, you know what? You decide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Surprise me, right? That there is there is something in again the contrast um, and this experience of the absence, seemingly of love and the reclamation of it. That maybe is exactly what we're here for. We actually want it to be just how it is. And sometimes, trust me, uh, that is the most annoying reminder you could ever be delivered when you're really in the shit and you're in pain and you just feel like, how could I possibly deserve this, let alone have chosen this? Uh, And, you know, I I experience that a lot when I look at children and I look at, you know, children who are are coming under this occultist spell and, and I feel rage and 
like, you know, this sense I need to adopt all the kids on the planet. And who knows what their soul chose, you know, to experience and why. And that, you know, it's not about abdicating responsibility, um, but it is orienting importantly into that locus of control that is within. It's really all I can control is my, you know, my choices on a daily basis and how it is that I'm narrating my experience without bypassing. I mean, I'm as a former atheist, allopathic practitioner and, and deep skeptic, I am allergic to spiritual bypass. I mean, I'm not about to be convinced by, you know, uh, affirmations and, you know, spiritual fairy dust. It doesn't work for me. Right. So well, I, I don't think it works for anyone, honestly. Yeah, maybe it doesn't. I mean, for me, especially it's like a huge eye roll and I want to feel the, my feet in the grit, in the mud while mm-hmm. I'm touching, you know, the warmth of the sun. I want that contrast. I want to experience, um, the process of, of that swirl. And, you know, so far that's what it's, it's been like. And I've called it the spiral path, right? Because it is. I have this expansion of like, wow, a contraction's coming. And if I can remember that, then it's, it's less, less disorienting. You know, you reminded me of something when I'm teaching my students about what God really is based on my experience as a mystic. I, I say to them, do you believe that God is unconditional love? And most of them raise their hands, but inevitably somebody who's a critical thinker says, well, if God is one unconditional love, why is there so much pain, torture, death, and destruction in the world? And I give them this answer that usually really puts them into deep meditation. I say, unconditional love had to create conditions so that it could love itself unconditionally. The great paradox. Absolutely. And that is the paradox of life. Because without this polarity, God or consciousness cannot know itself. In fact, one of the definitions I give them for love is love is consciousness becoming aware of itself. Yeah, I love that. And that's what love really is. And so point being is, yes, God is unconditional love, but God cannot know itself without creating the illusion of conditions. And the deeper we go into ourselves, the more we realize that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because there's no time or experience in that which is unconditional. By and, definition, it's unconditional. And what dimensions form brings, right? To, yes. to play. Yes. And, and I would say they all form brains. A cell is a membrane. <laughs> exactly right? What a fantastic conversation. Uh, I've just got a couple more quick things to ask you. What do you feel we should all consider as our common dream together mm. uh, for, for ourselves, but also for the world? I, I, I don't think we should separate ourselves from the world. If we, have, if we all agree we need the world to have this experience that we're having, what do you feel a good common dream we could all have together is because if we don't have a compass bearing, then we don't know where we're going and we don't know how to establish values to make effective choices. Mm. So out of your depth of wisdom, if you were mother earth or divine mother, what would you hope that your children at this point on earth would come up with as their common dream together? 
to hold the vision of what it is to connect despite and in spite and through separateness, you know, because we, we couldn't slaughter a lamb uh, if we felt the degree of connectedness that is actually present. Yes. And we can do that because of the forgetting, right? Because yeah. of the yeah. um, process we came here, you know, to engage, which many describe as a remembrance process. And so, you know, I think about what do I have in common with somebody who's bought, you know, the dominant narrative hook, line and sinker. Well, I have in common that I want to be loved. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I want to feel connected. And when I feel angry, it's because I don't feel connection is possible. I don't feel love in the room. So mm -hmm. how can I, you know, um, lean in when I want to lean away and some, by contrast, how can I say no when appeasement would otherwise um, force compliance or obedience or, you know, some sort of reflexive connection that's really false and, and not based on, on true love, which comes from that, like I said, that strong spine and that soft open heart. So something about this paradox of, of being this separate individual and bridging the gap to authentic connection and togetherness um, that even goes beyond understanding mm -hmm. to you know, a depth of um, reverence, really. I, I think mm -hmm. a lot about reverence recently and how that may be the antidote, you know, to what it is that is seemingly consuming us, this dehumanizing um, agenda. You know, if, if I can engage the I-thou energy, um, mm -hmm. it, doesn't that break the spell, right? <laughs> because sure. if I... If I if I feel dehumanized, you know, by someone in a mask and I look at them as an object of compliance and, you know, sheep-like um, obedience, well, I'm doing just what it is that I feel they have been subjected to and are, you know, propagating. And that's the whole mirroring phenomenon. You know, Nietzsche says you become the monster you're fighting. And it's, yes, yeah. it's very true. You know, so how can I choose reverence with my children, you know, with all that is around me, with my cup on the table? It's a different comportment energetically that you engage um, when you experience the sacred and everything, of course, as you know. Mm -hmm. Can you put that into a statement that anyone <laughs> can choose or not choose to put on their compass? How would it change? who it is that you are right now for you to see the divine in what's in front of you. Beautiful. Uh, you know, I would, you, I would do something paradoxical myself. And here's how I would answer the question. I just asked you, I would say, let this question be your dream. What would love do now? Hmm look at the situation of the world and say, what would love do now? Look at your own health crisis and say, what would love do now? Look at the challenges in your relationship and ask, what would love do now? Look at your own trauma and say, what would love do now? I think my own experience is that if we really are honest with that question, we innately know what to do. Mm. And that's why they say the the longest journey of spiritual development is only a foot from your head to your heart. And I think by asking what would love do now, we actually have to come into our heart to really answer it, or we just end up bullshitting ourselves. Yes. Now, 
you've got a lot of offerings. Uh, what would you like to to share in parting as far as, uh, you know, I've, I, you've got a, a number of programs. What would you like to leave the audience with as uh, both where to find more about you and what you would suggest of your teachings that might be ideal for them? Hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I, I came through, you know, in my offerings, a kind of polarity experience myself, you know, because in my practice in, in Manhattan, um, as this, you know, sort of renegade psychiatrist who devoted herself to emancipating people from, you know, psychotropics and related medications, you know, whether it was statins or birth control or acid blockers or antibiotics or vaccines or whatever it is, just emancipating from that model, I held a very masculine, almost a paternalistic energy field. And mm -hmm. I developed this protocol, which is, as I mentioned, it's not anything super, you know, unique or special, or it's not rocket science, that's for sure. Um, based on, you know, the, the evidence that we both know exists to support um, the, you know, psycho neuroimmunologic um, pathways that drive what we see as chronic illness and how simple it can be through lifestyle changes to resolve that. But what happened, I think is because I really, you know, it was almost like a drill sergeant kind of energy that I brought to my practice. Like if you did not, you know, engage strict discipline, you do, literally wouldn't get a second appointment, you know, like that, it was that, that hardcore. And I found that in a short couple of years, I was able to grow this field of, you know, apparently medical miracles, right? So I, I recruited a staff of volunteer clinicians and we started to publish, you know, apparently the first case ever published of, of resolving Graves' disease without surgery or uh, radiotherapy or any pharmaceuticals naturally, right? Of course, there've been hundreds of thousands probably, but, you know, nobody bothered to ever publish them. Then we had, you know, a lupus case and a recidivistic schizophrenia case and a suicidal depression case and, you know, OCD and blah, blah, blah. It went on and on and on. And, what I found was the field itself, as I know you understand, the field began to hold the potential. Mm -hmm. And I was able to step back and back and back away from it. And these outcomes started to um, invite those who were ready to step into this field because their conscious mind then saw, okay, well, I didn't know it was possible, you know, to get mm. off of five minutes after 25 years. Yeah, And so that is remain, that's vital mind reset. That remains my very yang offering to the world. Like when uh -huh. you're ready to change your life and trust me, two of my dear friends and Sayer did my program for the first time ever in January. Um, we almost got a divorce in June. <laughs> oh, shit. You know, it's no joke. It's no joke. And it is a very organizing um, field, you know, meaning that, as we discussed, there's some destruction that that follows it. It's amazing that I saw it with my own eyes um, in my in my intimate partner. And, and yeah. he's been living. He's a wellness guy. You know, like yeah. it's not like there was anything necessarily super novel, nothing probably to him. Um, and so then I really dedicated myself to my yin offering, you know, which is like, OK, not everybody's into the military model. Um, ready for it or interested. So what if you just want to dip a little toe in? And what if you just want to have a little gentle experience of the power of choice? You know, you want to 
for one week a month, engage one lifestyle challenge with a group of people who are going to support you, you know, whether that's like going to bed at nine o'clock or putting your feet on the ground for 15 minutes a day or whatever it is that we offer in, in Vital Life Project. So that is the more sort of like do it at your own pace with your friends mm-hmm. um, and just have a little experience. Just try it. Just try mm-hmm. it for a week, you know, and yeah. it's okay if it's not perfect. And honestly, I um, have grown and developed and changed so much from my participation in this group field um, because it's been very essential for me to take this kind of exploratory lens to my own process and like a spiral revisit, you know, like what is it to replace all of my beverages with just water for a week? Well, mm-hmm. I did that before already. Well, try it again because you're a different version of yourself now, two years later, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And that's more also where we hold the field pretty strong for bodily sovereignty and um, a positive, um, empowered spin on so much of what's, you know, happening in the world. Good. I I, I think, uh, you know, some people need uh, a bit of a drill sergeant. And I think some people know that inside they need to be directed what to do. Um, And so there there's, there's that program for those and those that want, you know, a, a, a bit of a scratch and sniff exposure, <laughs> then they can, <laughs> they can, they can scratch and sniff. And if they like it, they can scratch some more. <laughs> That's really good. That might enter into my marketing. Copy yeah. Before. Yeah. Good. Well, you know, it's easy, right? You either like it or you don't. It's so funny. And it's easy to do. And uh, a particular website uh, to, uh, come to is it kellybrogan.com yeah it's kellybroganmd.com okay great i, I really want to say thank you um i've really enjoyed the conversation and uh you know i can get quite fiery i got a, a dragon in me uh you know as i mentioned i'm an ex elite soldier so i've got fight in me and i've been working it out of me but uh, having this conversation with you has regrounded me in in um, trying to uh, remind myself that everybody's getting what they want and I don't have to push it into their face and say, here, I don't have to stick the chocolate up their nose. I can let them reach for it and say, do you, do you want to try this? Um, so thank you for uh, bringing me back into my center uh, uh, because um, it's easy to fall in love with your own ideas and your own concepts so deeply that you're sure you're right all the time. And um, even though I do trust my inner compass, listening to you and being present with you has, you've given me some of the feminine mm-hmm. energy back to find that mother in myself. And instead of being the, the, the domineering daddy and, pointing the finger and saying, you better do this or you're going to die, dumb shit. Uh, I can say, um, how's that working out for you? <laughs> yeah. And ex- thank you. I mean, that's the highest compliment I could receive at this stage in my process because I have been in that Yang dominant father polarity. And I yeah. have it, I have felt it. The onus is upon me and actually specifically me and maybe only me, right, uh, to help rescue this person from themselves. And so for me, a very guiding principle, humbling, but, you know, guiding principle has been to share when I am asked. I I think that consent 
is a very, very sacred principle. And in fact, we're always offered, in, in my estimation, consent um, you know, to, to so much that would otherwise seem to be senseless abuse. And so to track that down to our interpersonal interactions and to wait for someone to ask, that is their form of consent for whatever it is that you would otherwise bring into their reality. They, they are entitled to consent to that, right? So you can say something like, you know, are you open to hearing my perspective? That's all, right? And then yeah. you this, this reverence-based core mm -hmm. for your souls to connect through because otherwise it is that dominant warfare model, that hierarchical consciousness that is causing, you know, so much of the, the suffering uh, that we see right now. Yes. Well, what a great uh, conversation. And in closing, I would like to say thank you, all of you uh, listeners. I hope you got as much from this dialogue with Kelly as I did. Uh, it's it's a beautiful opportunity to to speak to someone who's so genuine in their path and and vulnerable and honest about their experiences. And I think that should be healing for all of us. It has been for me. Uh, thank you to my sponsors for all the love you share and supporting the podcast and for your sustainable practices and your absolutely excellent products. Thank you to all of you who buy from the sponsors. A little commission goes to the podcast to support me and finding geniuses like Kelly to share with you. And I would love to say to all of you in closing, what would love do now? Mm. Aho, great spirit. See you next time. Are you possessed? Hello, I'd like to offer you an opportunity to invest in a full audio download program that is very, very comprehensive on the issues of entity possession by myself, Paul Check, holistic health practitioner, founder of the Check Institute and PPS Success Master Program, as well as my partner in this program, Kedrich Olson, a specialist in paranormal protection work, a Norse mystic, and spiritual guidance coach. His expertise has been showcased on Gaia TV, Coast to Coast Radio, and popular podcasts. This amazing, detailed program may be the most comprehensive of its kind in the world today. Entity possession is a field I've studied quite extensively because of how often I've found these issues directly or indirectly linked to patients' and clients' physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual challenges. With the combined knowledge Kedrich and I share in this full-length program, you are not only getting one of the most comprehensive educations available worldwide on the topic, but we share a lot of highly practical information anyone can use to prevent or heal from entity possession. For an investment of only $39.95, you get the full download program, which includes nine and a half hours of information that includes the following sections or titles. What are entities? Internally generated entities, entities of a personal nature, ghosts, thought form entities, fairies, nature spirits, angels, spirit guides, entities from other planes of existence, dragons and my experience working with dragons, consciousness and quantum physics, psychotic episodes, spiritual emergency or spiritual emergence, researching, exploring and validating psychic phenomenon, servitors, tulpas, poltergeists, and near-death experiences. How people get possessions, multiple personality disorder, dissociative disorders, and information about the Black Madonna. The types of disassociative disorders including fatigue states, depersonalization disorder, 
psychogenic non-epileptic seizures, and the section determined the difference between entity possession or complexes as defined by Carl Jung. Other common means of acquiring entity possession. The importance of doing healing work on yourself to prevent entity possessions. Psychedelics, ley lines, extended isolation, the nocebo effect, all as sources of entity possession. Mediumship, electromagnetic stress, acts of evil, evil or negative spells. Common indicators anyone can use to identify if they have an entity possession. Sleepwalking, a healing ceremony story of entity possession and tips you can use, plus more on spiritual emergence and the importance of consistent spiritual work. Key tips for preventing entity possession. Seance, well-being in the four doctors and how to prevent entity possessions. The importance of having a dream, goals, and objectives in your life core values, six foundation principles, and learning to discern one's own thoughts and feelings from external sources, setting boundaries, controlling one's environment, biogeometry, love and higher frequency vibrations that can protect anyone from entity possession, a simple powerful technique for having your soul clear you of negative entities, disembodied souls or spirits that can have negative effects at every level of your body-mind. What to do if someone is confident that they do indeed have an entity? What are some self-help solutions to clearing and preventing their return and suggestions for finding professional help? And we finish with some closing comments. To invest in your full Are You Possessed audio download program and start learning and exploring this fascinating and very real topic now, go to thecheckshop.com forward slash product forward slash r dash u dash possessed forward slash once again that's the c-h-e-k shop dot com forward slash product forward slash r dash u dash possessed forward slash i hope you enjoy this fascinating program it's very deep kedrich brings a wealth of knowledge and experience into the program And as you are about to learn, these are very real issues, and you might be surprised to find that they're issues in your own life, either in your own body-mind, or in your family, or in your circle of friends, particularly if you go to ceremonies where psychedelics are being used in groups. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Kelly Brogan, MD. You can follow her on Telegram at t.me forward slash Kelly Brogan MD or on her website kellybroganmd.com. You can join the Vital Life community online to find like-minded wellness seekers. Go to kellybroganmd.com forward slash vital hyphen life hyphen project hyphen offer for full details. Kelly also has a number of ebooks and reports that you can download free of charge at kellybroganmd.com forward slash downloads. Follow Paul Check on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chikiva.com. Remember, you can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast.